0: Good morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Colossians in the New Testament as we return to our series. I've discovered that one of the biggest challenges in life is living with balance. And by that, what I'm talking about is in every one of our lives, we have all kinds of pieces, things, uh, parts, You know, we've got different relationships, different tasks, different responsibilities. And when I'm talking about balance, what I mean is giving to every part, every piece of our lives its appropriate level of importance. So that if something is really important, we live like that. We live as if it's really important. And if something is not very important... We live as if it's not very important. That's very challenging. You know, you've got all these different relationships, and some of them really matter, and some maybe don't matter so much, and, and all these different things. And, and uh, keeping it all balanced is a challenge. And I know that's true because in the Bible, God goes to great lengths, really, to teach us about what things in life really matter, what things in life are really important, and what things really aren't as important. So that tells me that we're not born automatically knowing that. We're not born with this built-in sense of perspective about what's important and what isn't. And we all know this because all you have to do is, you know, hang around a young child for a little while, and you will see that he or she often lacks perspective on the relative importance of things. Because at times... There are times when kids are absolutely convinced that unless they can have that particular thing, the world as we know it will come to an end. So unless they can have that piece of candy or that toy or that McDonald's kids meal, you know, I mean, that thing is the all-important key to happiness at that point. And, you know, as adults, we can, you know, Kind of chuckle at that and and uh, at that nonsense, and we try to help them gain a balanced perspective. But let's be honest: don't we often struggle? Don't we often struggle to achieve a balanced sense of what's really important? Somebody once said that as we get older, we don't necessarily get wiser; our happy meals just get more expensive. balance. In fact, one of the key teachings of the Bible is that the whole world, the whole human race is afflicted with a deadly lack of balance. A, a deadly lack of, of understanding the what's important and what isn't. I mean, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the most important person in the universe. In this book of Colossians we've been going through in chapter one, it tells us it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, listen to this, that in everything He might be preeminent. Number one, most important but all i have to do is look around and you see that many people don't regard him as most important they don't live their lives as if they're most important and even those who of us who you know we've put our trust in jesus and we want to follow him we don't always live our lives as if he's most important and that's one of the reasons we're going through this series walking with christ because true balance has to be learned It has to be learned. We have to learn to give Jesus his proper importance in life. We have to learn to give everything else its proper importance. In other words, we need to learn from him what really matters and what really doesn't. And one of the things that people get unbalanced about comes up in our passage that we're going to look at today. It's the issue of baptism. I would say for many people... Baptism is not important at all. It's just this kind of weird religious ritual. It just doesn't matter. And even people who consider themselves Christians think like that sometimes. On the other hand, there are some who tend to make baptism more important, too important, a bigger deal than the Bible does. Is it important? How important is it? Well, it's important because Jesus told us to do it. He said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's a command from Jesus, so clearly it's important. How important is it, though? What is a balanced perspective on baptism? I'm going to talk about that today because it comes up in our passage I want to see what God would teach us about this. Because as you'll see in the passage, it's connected to some pretty significant stuff. And if he bothered, if God bothered to teach us about it, apparently we need to know this. So we're going to take a look and see what he would teach us from Colossians 2. Now, just to get some perspective here, the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians has just been telling his his readers not to be... Taken in or, or fooled by false philosophies, ideas that are just human guesswork, but doesn't line up with the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. Okay, so now we come to verse 11 in chapter 2. Paul goes on and says this In him, that is in Jesus, Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. A lot of interesting things here, aren't there? How many of you just reading that first time through just kind of went, huh? Okay. There's a lot of interesting things here. I want to focus particularly on what this teaches us about baptism because Jesus, as I said, he commanded us to do this and because this is an issue that people disagree about and uh, can get confused about. So here's a lesson I think we should learn from this. Lesson I want to take away from this is baptism is less important and more important than you may think. How's that for having it both ways? Yeah, that clears it up, doesn't it? All right, we're going to take it one piece at a time, but it's it's less important and it's more important than you may think. All right, first, it's less important because a symbol is less important than what it symbolizes. It's less important than you may think because a symbol is less important than what it symbolizes. There are some wonderful things described here that Christ has done for those who are connected to him and all of these wonderful things that are talking about in this passage are somehow, in some way, connected to baptism. And these wonderful things are being made alive together with Christ, having all of our sins forgiven, having all of our guilt before God taken away. And all of these are connected to baptism. And I believe the way they're connected is their way they're connected the way a symbol stands for a reality. These wonderful realities are symbolized in baptism, but the symbol is not the reality itself, and the symbol does not make the reality happen. But unfortunately, that's the idea that many people have, that baptism somehow accomplishes these wonderful things that are talked about. And you can see why some might get that idea here. Look at verse 12. It says, Having been buried with him, having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So you could take that to mean that it's the act of baptism that actually makes this happen, this union with Christ in which we're then buried with him and then we're raised with him. That's that's actually the thing that that makes it real. And in fact, you know, the word symbol isn't used here. I use that word, but it's not here. So why would we take it that way? Why not just go ahead and say baptism really is the thing? It's actually the thing that makes us alive with Christ and forgives our sins and takes away our guilt. Why not just say that? Well, besides the fact that that would contradict what the Apostle Paul clearly says elsewhere about what makes those things happen, and not to mention the rest of the Bible, the language here won't really let us do that, if you look at it carefully. So notice first, verse 11, okay? It says that in Christ we were circumcised with a circumcision made, notice these words, without hands, Okay, so now this is telling us that Christ has done something that is described in some way as a circumcision in order to make us right with him, in order to accomplish these things that we're talking about, about being forgiven of sin and given new life and all this. But it says that what he did was not a physical thing. You see that? It was not a physical circumcision like under the old covenant law, the law of Moses, that involved cutting away a piece of skin, because this circumcision that's being talked about was made without hands. So what Christ has done for us is something that's not physical, but spiritual. You following me? Okay. All right. Well, baptism's a physical thing. It's a physical thing. When you're baptized, your physical body actually goes into some physical water, and you are physically immersed. Okay? It's done with hands. It's it's not done without hands. I've baptized many people. I haven't done one yet where I didn't use my hands. I don't think I should do it that way. Okay? I use my hands. It's done with hands, it's not done without hands. Which means, then, that baptism can't be the thing that makes this stuff happen. Okay, because what makes this stuff happen is something done without hands. Okay, so that's some of the language here that rules out the idea that it's baptism that brings about the, the new life and the forgiveness and all that. But there's more. The other language that rules it out are the words in verse 12 through faith. See that in verse 12? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So baptism is an expression of or a sign of or a symbol of faith. It's faith that connects us with the powerful working of God. Baptism is how we express or how we portray or how we symbolize that faith. And see, now that's consistent with everything else the Bible teaches us about how we are made right with God. The Bible teaches very clearly over and over again that there is no ritual there is no act, there is no deed that we can perform that will make us right with God. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. No action, no, no deed, because it's so important that we get this, so important. The salvation that Jesus purchased for us on the cross the salvation that he accomplished to give us eternal life instead of death, to give us forgiveness instead of condemnation, to give us pardon instead of guilt. All that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, we experience that by putting our trust in him and relying on what he did, not on anything we can do. Whether we're talking about being baptized, going to church, listening to sermons, taking communion, praying a certain prayer, or whatever. It's very clear. Ephesians 2.8.9, written by the same Apostle Paul that wrote this passage on baptism. He says, For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Through faith. It doesn't say through baptism. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Look at the emphasis here. It's not your doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one can boast. This is what Jesus does. It's not what we do. Faith is the channel. It, salvation comes through faith. Okay, well, baptism isn't faith. It can express faith. It can portray faith. It can picture faith. But it's not faith in and of itself. It's a symbol of the thing. It's not the thing itself. Okay? So it's just like, you know, in a wedding. And a bride and groom look at each other and, you know, we don't use these words exactly, but, you know, the old ceremony, they would, you know, say as they placed the ring on the finger, they would say, with this ring, I thee wed. With this ring, I thee wed. With this ring, I wed you. With this ring, I marry you. Now, nobody listening to that, nobody hears that and says... It's the ring. The ring is the thing. The ring is the thing that makes the the marriage. The, The ring is the thing that makes it happen. Nobody thinks that because that's not what it is. What makes them married is the promise, the vow to love and cherish and honor one another until death parts them. Now the ring is a beautiful symbol of that promise, but it's not the promise itself. We don't we don't want to make it more important than it is. You know, as if if somehow this ring got thrown into Mount Doom and, and melted, <laughs> that the marriage is over. It's not the ring. It, it's not the. Pr- it's it it's a symbol of the promise. It's not the promise itself. You understand? Makes sense. Now here's why this matters. Okay, this is why this is so important. If you were to stand before God today and he were to look you in the eye and say, why should I let you into my heaven? The answer that you give reveals what you're really trusting in to make you right with God. And there are a lot of bad answers, dangerous answers, Okay. Answer's like, well, I, I tried to live a good life. I tried to be a good person. I went to church a lot. I endured all those sermons from Pastor Scott. I, I. And one of the dangerous answers, and I don't mean to make light of this at all, Okay, one of the dangerous answers would be, because I was baptized. Because when I was a baby, somebody put water on me. Because when I was six, I got dunked. That's a dangerous answer. That's a wrong answer. Because it shows we're relying on a symbol instead of the thing. Okay, the the answer to the question is because Jesus Christ died for me and my sin. And I'm united to him. If you you say baptism, you're, you're confusing the symbol with the thing it symbolizes. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Are you relying on Him to make you right with God? That's the issue. Don't trust in a symbol. Don't trust in a ritual. Trust in the Savior. Trust in Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead so don't let's don't make it more important than it should be we don't want to confuse the symbol with what's being symbolized the it's it's less important than you may think because it's a symbol and the symbol's less important than what it symbolizes okay but let's go on because that's not the whole story baptism is more important than you may think, because what it symbolizes is the most important thing that can ever happen to you. It's the most important thing that can ever happen to you. And this this may be even, you know, more relevant, more applicable to to us living in our culture because we tend to depreciate the value of symbols. And so when I say, well, it's a symbol, you might think, well, that means it doesn't matter. No. When I say it's a symbol, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It matters a lot. And it matters mainly because Jesus told us to do it. See, baptism is the way that Jesus commanded for us to express faith in him. That was his idea. He said it. He commanded it. That's the way he told us to express faith in himself. And you might say, well, why? Why why did he choose that way of expressing faith? Well, he doesn't really say. But I I think we can make some pretty good guesses. I think one reason he commanded it is because it's public. And it's important that we let other people know that we believe in Jesus. I think also it's important... Because it's humbling, it 's very humbling. yeah it's hard to look cool when you get dunked in water. and but it's so important that we let go of our pride and that we do something that frankly looks kind of silly or weird, and the only reason we do it is because Jesus told us to. He told us to, and i've got to swallow my pride and do it. But then there's another reason, I think, and that's what I want to elaborate on, and that is that baptism provides a very vivid picture of some incredible realities, some incredible things that Jesus did for us. And you and I need to believe these things, and we need to be reminded of these things. And see, baptism, every time we see a baptism, we get reminded of these things. And we need to proclaim these things. And baptism, every time we see one, it's a a proclamation of these things. So let me me, uh, lay them out here. The things that baptism pictures. First, baptism pictures Jesus dying and rising again to give us life. It pictures Jesus dying and rising again to give us life. Verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Yes. I don't know what you think your biggest problem in life is, We've all got problems. I don't know what you think your biggest problem is. I don't know what you'd say it is. I think I know what the Bible would say your biggest problem is. And that is outside of Jesus, you're dead. You're dead. Now, not physically, obviously, not yet, but dead spiritually. You're dead to God. You're dead. You're separated from Him. You're separated from the one who is the source of true life and true meaning and true purpose and true joy. You're dead. I'm dead. But Christ died and rose again to give you life. To give me life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. 25, look at this. I am, he said, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. (coughs) When we become connected to Jesus by faith, do you know what happens? This is just amazing. When we become connected to Jesus by faith, God regards his death as our death. And His resurrection is our resurrection. We become united to Him. And see, baptism is a picture of this. Going under the water pictures Christ's burial. Coming up out of the water pictures Christ's resurrection. And that, frankly, is one reason I think it's important that we maintain and keep the biblical pattern of immersion for baptism because that's what vividly portrays that picture of burial and resurrection. So it pictures Jesus dying and rising again to give us life. Second, baptism pictures Jesus removing our old identity and giving us a new identity. Removing our old identity and giving us a new identity. Now, that's what I think is the main point in all of this talk about circumcision that made you, you know, maybe feel awkward and uncomfortable. What is this? Well, see, circumcision was the sign under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses. It was the sign that you belonged to the community, the covenant community, God's people, Israel. And it was a community you were born into. You were born into this community. You're part of the people of God. And all male babies received this sign that marked them as belonging to the community. Okay, well, baptism is the sign under the new covenant that Jesus established. It's the sign that we belong to God's new covenant community his people, the church of Jesus Christ. And we get into this community not by being born into it, but by being born again through faith in Jesus Christ who died to make us one of his people. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of his flesh. You know what Paul's saying there? He's reminding his readers who are not Jewish, who are Gentiles, he's reminding them that they used to not belong to God's people. They were excluded. They were outsiders. And that is true of every single one of us, apart from Jesus. We're outside. We're excluded. The only way, the only way into God's family is for Jesus to circumcise you spiritually. He doesn't cut off a piece of your skin. You know what he does? He completely removes your old identity and gives you a new identity. And baptism pictures this. It pictures your old self being buried with Jesus and your new self rising with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, you might feel like the same old person sometimes, a lot of times. The thing is, if you're in Christ, it just isn't true. God does not look at you the same way. You do not have the same identity you used to have. And see, a big part... A big part of what it means to learn to walk with Christ is to learn to live out that new identity that God has given you and to learn to live it out every day. You see, you're no longer the helpless victim of sin. We like to play that role sometimes. Well, I couldn't help it. I'm just a sinner. That's no longer true if you're in Christ. Yeah, you're a sinner, but you're not a helpless sinner. You're not the helpless victim of sin. In Christ, you are freed from slavery to sin. And your body, which used to just sin, and you couldn't help it, your body can now be an instrument of righteousness, doing good for the glory of God, doing good for the benefit of others. You have a new identity in Christ. The old has been buried with Christ and the new has been given new life. See, baptism is important because it pictures that glorious reality and we need to learn to live that out. And then one more. Baptism reminds us of Jesus erasing all of our guilt. Just cleansing it, washing it, taking it away. Verse 13, having forgiven us all, don't you love that little three-letter 3, word, three letter word, all? Having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, you can actually translate verse 14 in two different ways. You could do it the way the English Standard Version here has done it, talking about the record of debt. Or you could take it another way, and it's talking about an indictment, a list of crimes, a list of crimes that we have committed against God by all our countless sins. So it's it's either an indictment of our crimes or it's a record of our debt, but either way, the result is the same. Before God, before the righteous judge of the universe, we stand condemned. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do to get rid of that indictment. There's nothing we can do to get rid of that debt. We, we racked it up. We can't pay it off. But Jesus did it for us. He did it for us. When he allowed himself to become sin in our behalf, when he was nailed to the cross, all the charges against us were nailed there with him. Justice was done on him. He paid the price in full. And so when we're united to Him, then His death is reckoned as our death and our crimes are reckoned as nailed to Him. He became sin for us. The debt was paid. The guilt was taken away. And before God, we stand absolutely free of guilt. No stain of guilt, whatever. None. No record of wrongs. No spreadsheet itemizing all of our debts. It's all gone. Romans eight one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't say, "And eh, there's now there's only a little condemnation." There's just a smidgen of condemnation. There's none. It's all gone in Christ. And here's the the interesting thing about verse 15, okay? It's like, what is this? By doing this, by taking away all of our guilt, Jesus took out of the hands of your enemies the one weapon they could use to separate you from God, to keep you out of God's family. That's the point of verse 15. Your spiritual enemies, these rulers and authorities, have been disarmed, Well, now, how could Satan, how could the demons, how could your spiritual enemies keep you from God? How could they keep you excluded from God's family? Simple, by tempting you to sin. And then saying, Behold, this sinner is guilty of breaking God's law and must be condemned. And Jesus says, Yes, They're guilty. Oh, they were guilty. But I have taken their guilt away. And I bore their punishment. And I paid their debt. Because of me, because of my death, which is now reckoned as their death, they are free. Case dismissed. That's right. Now, can you begin to see why baptism matters? Can you begin to see that? It's it's not just because Jesus commanded us to do it, but it's because he commanded us to do it to picture these glorious realities. And these realities matter so much. It is the God-ordained way of picturing these (laughs) glorious realities that we need to believe and we need to remember and we need to proclaim. So... Then, if you've put your trust in Jesus, or if you want to, and you've never been baptized, the way to apply this message today is really simple. In fact, I wish we had the tank full and ready to go right now. (laughs) But it's really simple. You just need to express your trust in Jesus the way Jesus commanded us to. You'd be like the Ethiopian guy we read about in Acts chapter 8. He was an official, a eunuch of uh, the court of Ethiopia, and he's riding along in his chariot and says he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Apparently he was a a convert to Judaism or, or something, a believer in the God of Israel in some way, and he's reading in Isaiah, and he reads about Isaiah 53, and he doesn't know who it's referring to. And the Apostle Philip happens to be there, and he hears this, and he says, hey, do you know who you're reading about? And the guy says, well, how could I unless somebody explains it to him? So Philip gets up in his chariot, and I love this. This is what it says. It says he preached Jesus to him. And then they're going along. It says in Acts 8.36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip baptized him on the spot. You know what the point of that is? He preached Jesus to him and he believed in Jesus and he said, okay, here's water, let's, let's get this done. I want to I express my faith in Jesus. So if you're ready to express your faith in Jesus and you haven't taken this step, well, we happen to have a baptism service scheduled in a few weeks, April 26th. All you got to do is take out that Connect card that's in your folder. And if you need another one, we'll, you can get one. Just out in the four, there's more. And, uh, you know, everybody, you can take that out now and just let us know you're here today. And if you have a prayer request, put that on there. But if you'd like to express your faith in Jesus and baptism, just write baptism on there that you're interested and you want to talk about it. And we'll get in touch with you. And I'd be delighted to talk to you about it. And I'd be delighted to include you in that baptism service to proclaim the glorious reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such an awesome Savior, and thank you, Lord, for giving us a way of expressing our faith that's public, that's humbling to us, and that just pictures these amazing truths. And Lord, those of us who've been baptized, help us as we learn to just live in the the new identity you've given us. And if there are those here who haven't taken that step and need to, Lord, just encourage them and and help them. And uh, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not yet put their trust in Jesus, that they would understand your great love for them, your desire to include them in your family, to make them part of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for all your good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.